0: We are almost to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. What a great, perfect sermon, a whole lot better than any sermon that I could come up with. Jesus himself beginning his ministry and teaching there on the mountaintop. We're not going to be done by the end of today, but by the end of the 4th of July, we should be done, Lord willing, through the Sermon on the Mount. Let's pick up where we left off, Matthew chapter 7, now in verse 13. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Lord, help us to understand your word. Teach us by it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So it begins this section in verse 13, saying, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Here's the first point. Everyone has a choice to make. God has been giving us this choice of a direction that leads to blessing and a direction that leads to curse and destruction. Since the very beginning, Adam and Eve, then it was, everything is good, but one thing. If you disobey me in this, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just disobey me in this one thing, that's going to lead to death. It's a choice. Blessing or curse. And it continued after that. Even there, as, as God, as, as mankind continued then in sin, living in the result of the choice that Adam and Eve made, Man just continued to be evil and evil and do everything in their thought and thought and mind and action against God. God chose one man, Noah, found to be righteous, chose him and told him, Build a boat. Noah believed God and started building a boat. That whole time, the world could see the means of salvation right there in front of them. They could have said, Noah, can I catch a ride with you? In that time, everything around them was curse, and there was this narrow path of blessing. Later on, God chooses a man, Abraham, says, I'm going to make a nation out of you and through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the world. That's where the nation of Israel came from, that's where the Jews came from. And multiple times in the history of the Jews, especially as God has now formed them into a nation, the last step of them truly being a nation is to have their own land and they are there at the edge of the promised land that God has promised to them and they are going to go in and conquer and God is going to give them that land. He Tells them in the book of Deuteronomy. There are two paths ahead of you. Obeying my word, everything that I've given you. And that's going to lead to blessing. But disobey me. Go after other gods. And that's going to lead to curse. Blessing and curse. Everyone has a choice. And what Jesus is saying here is wide is the path that leads to destruction. That's kind of been what it's been ever since the fall. For Adam and Eve, wide was the path that leads to to blessing. Narrow is the path to destruction. But once they took that path, it all changed. Now wide is the path to destruction. Narrow is the path to life. Now Jesus here isn't really talking to the whole world. He's addressing the Jews, he's addressing those who actually have interest in entering the kingdom of heaven. The world, for the most part, even today, just lives in the result of the choice back at the beginning. They don't see two different paths here. They just, they're just living in that choice. There's no desire to enter the kingdom of heaven, to to know the Father. To be reconciled to God. So in this context, everyone here is seeking entry into the kingdom and Jesus is saying, enter by the narrow gate. The narrow gate, few enter that way. Here's the truth about it. It's the truth today. Few enter by it and the way is hard. But the wide gate, many enter that way desiring to be entering into the kingdom of heaven. They enter through the wide gate and that way is easy. That's what Jesus describes here. And He commands us, warns us, enter by the narrow gate. So, What gate have I entered? What path am I on? Did I enter through the narrow gate? That's a pretty important question here because the one leads, the wide path, gate and path, leads to destruction. We've seen what that is from the history of the world. I don't want to be the people outside the ark. I don't want to be those who ultimately find themselves alienated to God and forever, eternity, apart from Him, suffering Those descriptions in the Bible of what that's like are very uncomfortable. They're not supposed to be comfortable. I don't want to be there. That's where the wide path leads. And this is in the context of people seeking entry into the kingdom of heaven. What gate have I entered? What path am I on? How can I know that? That's going to be important. Well, let's continue to follow what Jesus is saying here. In verse 15, he says, Beware! The second command in this passage, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. False prophets. Do we even think of the idea that we have prophets around us today? Usually when we think of prophets, we think of those really interesting characters that are in the Old Testament. But what is a prophet? A prophet really is one who's speaking a message from God. He's a messenger. And when he truly is, he's a true prophet, and what he's speaking is what God has given him to say, then what he says is going to be true. And a prophet who spoke about things that would come in the future, if it was coming from God, it would be true. And it was really easy to tell a false prophet on those things. If he's, if he's speaking according to what's going to happen it doesn't happen, well, God's never wrong, so you were not speaking on behalf of God, you're a false prophet. And in the Old Testament, they would stone you to death. But prophecy is not just about foretelling the future. Prophecy is speaking on behalf of God, speaking truth. Speaking as you are speaking what God would have you say. And, and there's two ways to think about it. There's foretelling the future and there's forthtelling telling God's word to right now, what God wants to speak to you now. There, there's no new revelation that's come from God since God completed His work in His word. Prophecy largely today is kind of what I'm doing right now taking God's Word and speaking it. And so a false prophet could be me. I'm in the position of being a prophet right now because I'm taking God's Word and I'm speaking it. It's part of being a pastor. Anyone in the body who's going to say, this is what's right from God, you're speaking. There are many false prophets today, speaking as if it's from God. If anyone who would take God's word and turn it and twist it is a false prophet. So that's what, a, and it, what are prophets doing? In a sense, they're the ones pointing out which gate to enter. Here's the way, Right? A good prophet should be pointing you, a true prophet, one who's speaking what God's Word says, should be pointing you to the narrow gate. Any other false prophet is going to be pointing you somewhere else, to the wide gate where most people go. So Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. What does that mean? that they have wool in the, ma- in the fabric, no. Sheep's clothing. Jesus, one of the analogies of his relationship to us that he gives is that he is our shepherd. We are the sheep of his pasture. And coming in sheep's clothing means that to all appearances, they look like they're one of us. They sound good. They, they may actually be compelling in what they say. Their life may be full of things that I say, look at that. That's a Christian who's on fire for the Lord. Look at their life. In sheep's clothing. So when I look at them, they look like another brother, sister in Christ. That's what that means. But inwardly, he says, the ravenous wolves, what does it mean to be a wolf among sheep? Causing hurt among the sheep, causing damage. One of the jobs of a pastor as an under shepherd is to protect the flock from wolves. So this is an important thing. Especially for shepherds to look. But this is Jesus is saying to all disciples, beware. False prophets come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The worst damage that a wolf does among sheep is to point people to the wrong gate. Here's the way. And it's a way that leads to destruction. It doesn't lead to eternal life. Am I aware of false prophets? Am I even aware in order to beware? Am I aware, as I look just in the larger field of Christianity, and and what Jesus is saying, in every church you're going to have false prophets come through. But, but in all of Christianity, can you identify false prophets? Are, are you aware enough to be aware, to follow Jesus' command, to be aware? How can I know that there is a false prophet? Well, Jesus continues and explains. In verse 16, he says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs? from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And if this analogy isn't enough, he's going to continue. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, oh, a healthy, yeah, did I just skip ahead? Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. He says it in the positive and the negative. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. God's going to judge the bad tree. Thus, he says in verse 20, you will recognize them by their fruits. Can Jesus say it any more plainly or redundantly or emphatically? How are you going to recognize a false prophet in sheep's clothing, was a wolf among the sheep by the fruit. What is the fruit? <laughs> well, this is our second point. Jesus is telling us how we can know. He says, Do not be deceived, pay attention to fruit. Notice what he's not saying. They're on fire for the Lord, their life is effective. Remember down at the end, we're not there yet, but it's, it talks about those at the end who's going to say, we prophesied in your name, we did miracles in your name, we did all these amazing things in your name, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Those are false prophets. They look; Their life looks compelling. You would say potentially some of them are super Christians. They're the ones on fire for the Lord. They're the ones that are doing the things. You say, wow, I wish I could attain to what they are as a Christian. Jesus doesn't say, look at any of those things. He says, look at the fruit. What is the fruit? Well, these folks he's talking to here now don't yet know about the Holy Spirit coming to indwell everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. But certainly on the other side of the cross as we are here putting our faith in Jesus Christ and the spirit of God has come into all those who truly have put their faith in Christ. You put your faith in Christ, you're a sheep, you're not a wolf. Let me tell you. And the spirit in us produces his fruit. We find that in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, Patience. Kindness. Goodness. There's more. I don't have that memorized. I should. That's the fruit. And, and that's for every one of us who's put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's, it's starting to come out in our life. It, it's not perfect. No. But I can look in any of your lives and see any of the that I've known for a few years. I can see, yeah, God's, God's working. As you're going through a fire, a difficulty in life, like, oh, yep, in the winter we, we trim the branches. Why? So they produce more fruit, right? Yeah, I, God's caring for that tree. And then I see it come out. I, I see not bitterness and, and, and hatred come out of that, but I, I see patience, endurance, a new sense of kindness and mercy towards those that have to endure the same thing. It's it's the fruit of the Spirit coming out. But but to these, they they don't have that passage yet, but Jesus just taught us what it looks like to enter the kingdom of heaven and to dwell in the presence of God and, and to enjoy His righteousness, His kingdom. We have the fruit that He's just talked about. What is that? Brokenness, there at the beginning of the Beatitudes. Brokenness for sin. Humility and meekness. A desire for righteousness. I want to be like Jesus. That was right there at the very beginning. In, what it looks like as is someone is, is growing and entering the kingdom of heaven. Their faith in Jesus Christ. Mercy. Mercy coming out of their life. Pure in heart. The motivations of their life have a purity to them. Why, why they do what they do. You're not, the longer you spend with Christ, the more that just is one thing. The integrity of, of the desires of your heart are pure. You become peacemakers. You realize persecution and opposition are fruit. He described that. And blessed are you when you're following Jesus, and as a result of that, you're persecuted and you suffer for it. That's in this place, when I'm following Jesus, that's fruit of genuine servant of Christ. Not doing what you do for personal gain, but obedience to Christ. He talked about that, not to be seen by others. The glory all to Christ as you pray, pray, Let your name be hallowed. To have a love for enemies, that's fruit that comes out of a true believer in Christ. Desire for heavenly treasure above earthly. Greater concern for obedience to Christ right now than being anxious about tomorrow. Boy, I love how... He's still working on me with that one. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, but just obey me right now what I have for you to do. When you see that coming out of a person, that's good fruit. Jesus says only, only good fruit comes off of a good tree. That doesn't come off of a bad tree. Right? Helping others to be free of sin. not in it for personal gain. right? A dependency on the Lord. Asking, seeking, knocking like we talked about. It's part of their life. I need God. I need to spend time with God. I need to, I need to be praying because whether I'm good at it yet or not, I, I need to be. I, that's something I know I need to do better because I'm dependent on Him, not on my own strength. That's what good fruit looks like. What does bad fruit look like? It's just the opposite, right? Doesn't matter how dynamic a teacher is, doesn't matter how compelling a just a person in, in the church or or in another church or who calls themselves a believer. If you look at their life, say what is the fruit? What's coming out of it? Is it pride? Opposite of meekness, humility. Not wanting to acknowledge sin rather than mourning sin. Desire to be seen as righteous. Condemning rather than merciful. Using righteousness to hit with causing conflict. Their life doesn't ultimately, maybe in token, it bring glory to God because we know we're supposed to be glorifying God, God, but but somehow that glory always comes back to themselves. It's that pride, right? a, A tree that's not rooted in Christ can't help it. The kingdom is a platform for condemnation and personal gain, rather than a mission, a mission field to save sinners. A vast difference. What is the fruit? That's what Jesus says to look at, because we will be deceived all day long with everything else. There are dynamic speakers out there that I would call false prophets, that many. Hear the word, many, follow. There are some that have a lot of followers that are great, men of God. But there are many false prophets. And it's not just the big, well-known speakers. Jesus is saying, beware of wolves among the sheep. Beware. Every believer, beware. Is it a big deal, really? I mean, someone in my life, or someone that I listen to on the radio, or just most of what they say is good. Yeah, I can see they're all about themselves. I I can see that really they're they're lacking all of this list of the good fruit. But but they're fun to listen to, and and they've got some good things to say. In fact, look at what they've done. They they created. Everything that Jesus says, they're going to say that they did. I did miracles in your name. I, they've, look at all these things they've done. Now, is it really that bad? Yes. Jesus says, commands us, beware. Why? Because they are pointing people to the wide path. The path that leads to destruction. Not the narrow path that leads to life. So beware. Yes, take it seriously. Jesus says, take it seriously. He doesn't tell us to go on a campaign against them. He says, Beware. Open your eyes and see and understand and know. Beware. All right. He still hasn't told us about that narrow gate. <laughs> I want to make sure I get that right. Enter by the narrow gate. Few enter by it the way is hard but that's the way that leads to life. It continues in verse 21 not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven there's one thing person who does the will of the father On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? In the name of Jesus, they did all these things. In our estimation, super-Christian. This is where when when Jesus talks about a similar, similar topic in the book of Luke, different time, different place, he mentions the first shall be last, and the last will be first. Our estimation of who is first is not God's estimation of who is first. Our estimation of who is last is not God's. Remember, the way is narrow. That means I'm going against the flow of the world around me to take the narrow path. But these are folks who look like super Christian. They will say, we did all these things in your name. And he will say in verse 23, And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's two things here. That identifies those who are on the correct path. Those doing the will of the Father and those that Jesus knows or you could say those who know Jesus. The narrow gate is Jesus. How do I come to be doing the will of the Father? How do I come to know Jesus? In John chapter 10 Jesus describes himself as the door of the sheep. Through me, they enter, pasture, go to pasture, right? He, he's, he's describing, he's using figures of speech in front of the Pharisees who are, as Jesus describes, wolves, the religious leaders, those, that, that, those of that time would put on the pedestals. These are the super righteous ones. Jesus calls them Wolves. They're the ones who have the keys to the gate, and they don't allow anyone in, and they don't enter themselves. That's another way Jesus describes them. But there in front of them, he says, those that came before me, hint, hint, y'all, the thieves and robbers, whose purpose is to steal and to destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He is the door. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. In Jesus is the way. He is the narrow gate. He is the path behind the narrow gate. See, entering the narrow gate is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. That's simply what it is. The person of Jesus Christ. Not, not a religion, not, not uh, a particular church. Not a particular denomination. No. It's putting your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. There are many who are experts in God's word, experts in religion, experts in Christianity, pastors even, who have yet to actually come to their knees before the person of Jesus Christ to say, I'm trusting you now with my life. So they have never entered the gate. I can grow up in church, I can be a part of church, I can do everything in church, I can say all the right things, I can, I can believe in myself that I am a Christian, and I, I am doing everything it is to be a good Christian, yet I have never been on my knees before Jesus Christ and said, I give my life to you, Lord, everything to you, and put my faith in Him, then I've never entered the gate. That is the narrow gate, and that's the gate that few enter. Jesus says here. And the way beyond is difficult. It's difficult because my flesh doesn't want to follow. My pride doesn't want to follow. My pride doesn't want to be torn down. All of that that we just went through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's done now teaching about what's good and right. He's, he's done with that. Now he's challenging us in making the right choice. Following what Jesus described doesn't sound easy because it's my flesh is against it. To to love my enemy, to pray for those, bless those who are persecuting me, that doesn't sound easy. But here's the thing, later on Jesus is going to say, my yoke is easy. Why? Because when we put our faith in Him, He gives us His Holy Spirit. Yes, the flesh doesn't want to follow where, he's, where he's, the way that He wants us to go, but it isn't in our strength. In my weakness, He is strong. His grace is sufficient for me. So even while the way is hard and in fact impossible, it's His Holy Spirit in me then that allows me to walk and follow Jesus in faith. one more point notice in verse 22 Jesus says on that day many will say to me what day is that on that day many will say to me Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name there's another passage that's helpful in this because there's in Luke there's a time when someone says Jesus is it just gonna be a few people that are saved and he answers that question With a similar response. Let's look. Luke chapter 13 in verse 23. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Here's what he said to them. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Not just... Enter through the narrow gate. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, will not be able when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. That day is the day of the gate closes here's an important truth to realize is the gate is closing that's our final point and hence the scariest thing don't wait as Noah was gathering his family onto the ark and gathering all the animals on the ark and all the people around had every opportunity to say can I bum a ride off of you can I enter through that door? Had every opportunity until God closed the door. When the Father says it's time, there's no turning back. The door is closed. The opportunity is gone. And then they stood outside. Let us in. But it was too late. That's when they will be saying, Lord, Lord, look at all the things that we did in your name, everything, and let us in. And he's going to say, I never knew you. You never put your faith in me. It's all about you. We don't know when that moment is. But when it comes, God's the one who's going to shut the door. Master of the house will get up and close the door, and it'll be too late. We all have a choice to make. Will I go with the flow? Will I do what's easy? See, what's easy is just to go with my own pride, what feels good to me, what works best for me, what's in my interest. And it may look hard. Boy, he's working hard at his Christianity, but it's what works for me. Or am I willing against all opposition, even the opposition that's inside, To submit my life to Jesus Christ and follow him. Choose life.
1: the name above every other name Jesus the only one who can ever save worthy of every breath we can ever breathe we live for you oh we live for you the There is no one like you. There is none beside you. So open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me with your love to those around me. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around. In you alone And I will not be shaken I will build my life Upon your love It is a firm foundation I will put my trust In you alone there is none beside you Open up my eyes and warns show me who you are And fill me with your heart And lead me in your love To those around me I will build my life Upon your love It is foundation i will put my trust in you alone and i will not be shaken i will
0: trust in you, alone, God, the worst place I can imagine being is thinking you're on the right path, but not. Thinking you're on the path that leads to life, but not. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would reveal that. We don't want to be deceived. We want to walk in truth. God, I, I thank you that not only does the path that you have purchased with your own blood lead to eternal life, But even now, we get to enjoy life in you. Life abundantly. That's what you said. You came that we might have life and have it abundantly, and we get to have that now. God, the life in you is good. I wouldn't trade it for anything this world has to offer no comfort, no treasure, no luxury. God, there's nothing that compares to the life that we have in you. Lord, help us live in that. Tomorrow, going to work, or heading out on vacation, God, don't let it be just about trying to satisfy as much of the desires of that we have in the flesh that we can. God, it's good to have rest. It's good to enjoy. But God, let it be all in you, in obedience to you, enjoying you, so that it's true rest, true life. God, let every part of our life be in you. I love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in us. Thank you for what you're doing through us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I love you, church. You go going the Lord.